morning's reading can be found on page 1161, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 to 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are trying to commend ourselves to you again and are giving you an opportunity to take pride in it so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, for those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Calling the, the, the Christian Portraits Gallery. I, some some uh, pictures from the New Testament that describe uh, Christian life. Uh, we've looked at uh, the picture of a sheep, uh, and last week as a soldier, and today we're looking at the picture of being an ambassador. Uh, let me pray for us uh, as we turn to God's Word. Father, we uh, do pray that uh, you would uh, help us as we consider your Word to understand what you're saying. We, we need your help with that, your Spirit to enlighten our hearts. Father, uh, we most of all want to see Jesus clearly and the glorious good news uh, of the gospel, the, the message of reconciliation, uh, so that we would be a people confident in it to be faithful as your fellow workers, to, uh, to be declaring to those around us uh, of the gospel message. So please help us this morning, we pray. Amen. In October 1941, Winston Churchill went to his old school, Harrow, to, um, to give a, a, a talk to the students. It was, it was in the middle of World War II. Uh, Britain had faced hardship and would continue to face hardship in the years to come. And, and in that speech, he, he said these famous words. And I'm not going to do it in his accent. Okay, I'm just you were egging me on then for a moment, were you? I saw you. I saw. Uh, what did he say? He said, never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. 
in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in. Why, why did he say that at that time? Well, because it was a dark time for Britain, wasn't it? And of course, he knew that people would be tempted to give in. And of course, the same temptation is true for us as Christians. We live in a, in a, in a dark world, uh, and as we share the gospel with others, as we seek to invite people to come and hear about Jesus, uh, it can be tempting to give in. You know, we invite people to, you know, in a Christian event, and they say no. We, we give them a Hope 150 booklet, and they say not interested. You know, we try to drop something Christian into the conversation, and they, and they don't like it. We invite them along to week one of Christianity Explored, and they don't come back. And we think to ourselves, well, you know, what, what am we doing wrong? Well, it's easy, isn't it, to lose confidence in the gospel, that the message of God, the good news... And we think, well, is that what they really need to hear? Or we can lose confidence in ourselves. Maybe God would send somebody better, more equipped than me, to tell this person about Jesus. And, uh, and I, I suspect as, as I look out, as I look within me, kind of we both know those temptations to give up, don't we? We do. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry through God's mercy, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. In other words, we don't give up. Now, Paul only wrote that because he knew that his readers will be tempted to give up. And 2 Corinthians 5 is full of help. Uh, in the face of this temptation. Paul here describes us, the, the Christian, as being an ambassador for Christ. It's there in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And that is a, a, a huge responsibility, an extraordinary privilege, uh, the God-given task uh, of bringing the gospel to a lost world. It's the task of evangelism. Um, uh, earlier this year, I, I, I reread Jim Packer's great book, uh, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. It was one I read 25 years ago. I thought, oh, it would be quite good to read that again. Uh, and I found it so encouraging. Um, listen to this uh, passage uh, that he wrote uh, in it. He says uh, about this verse, the commission to publish the gospel and make disciples was never confined to the apostles, nor is it now confined to the church ministers. It is a commission that rests upon the whole church collectively and therefore upon each Christian individually. Every Christian, therefore, has a God-given obligation to make known the gospel of Christ and every Christian who declares the gospel message to any other person does so as Christ's ambassador and representative, according to the terms of his God-given commission. Such is the authority and such is the responsibility of the church and of the Christian in evangelism. And so today we're thinking about and we're encouraged about how we can take this gospel message to others. Maybe some here uh, may think, well, I'm not 
I wouldn't call myself a Christian. I'm not persuaded uh, of that. Well, of course, this isn't a call to you. uh, But as you listen in today, we're going to hear what this gospel message is, what Christians believe, and therefore why we're commanded to tell others. I hope that will be helpful for you. So we're going to think there's there's an outline on the notice sheets. We're going to think about, uh, firstly, the ministry of Christ. Uh, of an ambassador of Christ, and then their message, and then I've got a couple of big implications for us to consider from that. So firstly, the ministry of Christ's ambassador, the ministry of Christ's ambassador. Now, in today's world, uh, an ambassador is one who is authorized on behalf of another sovereign, another world leader, um, on 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 their behalf, whose deputy they are, to communicate the the wishes, the will of that ruler to other nations, isn't it? So uh, if you're an ambassador, you normally get to live in quite a swanky house in one of the best parts of a a capital city, and you can park your car wherever you like. That's what being an ambassador means, isn't it? Um, But to do that, you carry diplomatic privilege and protection because you're speaking on behalf of the one who has sent you. So if you insult the ambassador, you're insulting the sovereign who sent them, that kind of thing. Uh, And of course, this arrangement is usually reciprocal. So uh, we have an ambassador to the, the US, and the US has an ambassador to the UK. That's kind of how it tends to work. But in the ancient world, it didn't work quite like that. It wasn't a protected role nor was it reciprocal. Uh, An ambassador was normally sent uh, from a lesser nation uh, to a more powerful one, often one that um, had dominion over them. Uh, And the ambassador from the the weaker nation uh, would go to curry favor with that, that superpower. And of course, in Paul's day, that was Rome. Uh, but the powerful nation didn't send ambassadors. They didn't need to. No, they just sent governors who would rule. So uh, Rome would send uh, its governors to the different parts and the provinces of the Roman Empire, uh, and they ruled over those people. But if, if there was a complaint or, or, or kind of some, an injustice, then the, the, the lesser nation or, or, or people groups within that would send ambassadors to the more powerful one, to to plead their cause. So, for example, Philo, the Greek writer, he describes a delegation of ambassadors to the emperor Caligula. Uh, And those ambassadors went to appeal on behalf of the Alexandrian Jews who were suffering persecution at that time. And so they'll go, look, please, this isn't right, do something about it. Uh, Or here's a great quote from Emperor Augustus. Now, he's feeling pretty proud of himself at this time. He, remember, he was the guy who, who described himself as a God who has become a man. So, you know, kind of he, he's got a pretty big ego. Um, but he's, he's telling everybody uh, in this quote just like how there's never been an emperor like him. So he says, Embassies were often sent to me from the kings of India, a thing never seen before in the camp of any general of the Romans. Our friendship has been sought through ambassadors by the 
Bastane, the Scythians, and the kings of the Samartians, who live on the other side of Tanis River, and the king of the Albani and of the Hiberi and the Medes. So as he kind of looks around the Roman Empire from India, Russia, to Spain, uh, and everywhere in between, all these people are sending him ambassadors. And that just reminds him of just how great and important he is. Of course, he only sent generals to them. That's how it worked. So again, look back at uh, verse uh, 20 of our reading. We, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, don't, don't miss how extraordinary that is. How would you expect this work to, how would you expect this to work between God and people? You would think that God as the powerful God, the, the God over all, the one who rules over all things, would have ambassadors sent to him. That's how it would have worked in the ancient world. No. Uh, God has condescended in the gospel to send people like us as his ambassadors, not making his commands or his uh, demands, but his appeal through us. And this is God's method. Okay, God is at work through his people, the church, in the, what's called, verse 18, the ministry of reconciliation, a ministry given to the church through the apostles to proclaim the authentic apostolic gospel to the world. And this is the work of God. So look ahead, chapter 6, verse 1. Paul then can say, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. God's work in the world and the means by which he has chosen to, to do this work is through his people as they go as ambassadors to make God's appeal to others. The ministry of reconciliation, the, the, the task of the ambassador of Christ. Which brings me to my second point. Well, what is the message of the ambassador? What is the message of the ambassador that they are to bring to this world? Well, look verse 18 uh, of our reading. Paul writes, all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting sin, people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So that the, the, the message that the ambassador of Christ uh, is the apostolic gospel, the good news of reconciliation. Verse 19, what he calls the message of reconciliation. So what is this message? Well, what do you think of when you hear the word reconciliation? We use it in all sorts of different ways today, both in terms of personal relationships, but also in global politics. The very idea of reconciliation, of course, presupposes that there is a breakdown in relationship that needs fixing. So just imagine it's the wedding anniversary uh, and the wife says to the husband, darling, where, where have you booked a table for us? And the husband says, oh, I've booked a table with the marriage counsellor. Now, because the, the, the whole point of reconciliation is, is behind that is there's something that needs fixing. 
a broken relationship, a strange relationship, a, a, a sense of uh, hostility, enmity. And we're told that God is reconciling the world to himself. How? Look again. By not counting people's sin against them. By not counting people's sin against them. That's how he's doing this work. So that the breakdown between humanity and God in terms of the relationship is because people have sinned. They've disregarded God's word. They've rejected his laws, his moral and his will. And in doing so, they've, if you like, thrown the relationship that we were made for back into the face of God. And that is sin, isn't it? Sin, simply put on one level, is to, be, to, to, to reject God as the author of my life and the one who is God over me. That, that is sin, isn't it? And God is rightly angry at that. Both sides of the relationship are broken. But, verse 17... God has acted to bring about a reconciliation. And please see this, it's important, uh, that this reconciliation is not a small or easy thing to happen. As though kind of, you know, there was, uh, yeah, this was, this was easy to kind of fix and kind of get back to how things were. Why? Because God must, as a just God, count people's sins against them. That's justice, isn't it? Uh, There isn't a giant heavenly carpet under which God can sweep things under. And we know this even as humans, don't we? We know that to forgive sins of others is hard when we've tried to do that. Uh, When forgiveness is cheap, it can be offensive to us, can't it? So imagine you came back from holiday Uh, to find that an arsonist had burnt down your house. The police are there. They tell you, yes, we caught the culprit red-handed. Yeah, it was a nasty piece of work, but we forgave him and let him go. You kind of think, what? (laughs) Excuse me. And ramp up the seriousness of the wrong. Why is it that Ukraine can't come to some sort of settlement where they lose a third, however much, a quarter of their territory and the destruction and the loss of life as though simply that that didn't matter to them? Of course you can't just say, oh, well, we'll just draw new lines and get on with life. Well, if that is true for us as humans, how much more true is it for the God who has to uphold and define justice. He can't just simply sweep it away and say, oh, let bygones be bygones. God has to count sins, people's sins against them. That is justice. Now, reconciliation is often a word that is beautiful to us because it speaks into kind of something wonderful where, where recon, you know, the reconciliation of people, where people are brought back into relationship. Uh, not just superficial relationship, but a genuine relationship. It is a, a beautiful thing, isn't it? We love to see people reconciled, but we also know, don't we, that turning your back on evil cheaply is wrong. And God, of all people, can't do that. So wrong must be dealt with. You can't keep bringing up the past. 
if there's to be reconciliation. So here's the question then. How did God find a way to not count people's sin against us? That is how reconciliation between people, sinful people, and God can happen. And verse 21 tells us this glorious verse. We're told that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, three things I want us to see from that verse. I mean, we could do a whole sermon on it, but three things briefly. Firstly, that God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. That's the first idea. The sinless one, Jesus, the one who loved God completely, as we said earlier in our service, loved God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength. He loved God completely, and he loved his neighbors unreservedly, who, so God, who kept God's commandments fully, the one of whom even his enemies could not find fault with, became sin, we're told. Now, this might be a bit strange to our ears. It sounds a little bit like an unjust thing, like somebody taking someone else's speeding final points. But no, this was a familiar in the ancient world, especially to Jews. Why? Because this is the language of sacrifice, the language of atonement. The sacrificed one becomes the carrier of sin and takes it into judgment. Uh, every year, on the Day of Atonement, uh, the sacrifices would be made uh, for God's people where the sacrificed one would become sin. Or a goat, uh, the, 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 the scapegoat would, would have it, hands laid upon its head and that goat would become sin and would be sent away into judgment. And the results... We'll look again, verse 21, that we might become right, the righteousness of God, that we might become the righteousness of God, not considered guilty, but righteous. Uh, he who was innocent is now guilty, and I who was guilty am now become righteous. Do you see that? There's a swap that's been taken place. It's what uh, John Calvin describes as the great transfer it's not simply that our sin is dealt with by Jesus as a sacrifice on the cross, but his righteousness becomes ours. And so my sin is not counted against me because it's been counted against Jesus, who willingly gave himself up as a sacrifice on the cross. And how can this happen? How can I be uh, and my sin's not counted righteous, uh, so not counted uh, my sin against me, but instead counted righteous. How? Well, right in the middle of uh, verse 21, our third idea, and that is two words, in him. You see that? In him. As I become joined to Jesus, as I trust him, as I submit to him as my savior, uh, as I in him am made a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, uh, for our sake he becomes my guilt and the, takes the judgment I deserve and I receive his righteousness counted to me. 
in him. Undeserved, unearned gift from God. And that is reconciliation. That is how we're brought back to God. We become righteous in God's sights. And then, and only then, can there be reconciliation. And this is the message of reconciliation, the appeal to trust Jesus uh, in his sin-bearing death on the cross to reconcile sinners to God. And it is good news. Why is it good news? Well, look back to uh, chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Friends, there's a judgment to come. Uh, this, uh, uh, this broken relationship, this enmity, enmity between us and God cannot go on forever. There will be a day of justice, and God will demonstrate himself to be God, and he will judge evil fully, finally, and fairly. But God is reconciling the world to himself. As, as we as his people, his fellow workers, chapter 1, verse 6, uh, bring the gospel to others. And so as the gospel message is proclaimed, Jesus' finished work on the cross is applied to believe. It's all the work of God, but he uses us in that task as God brings this wonderful good news to others. Well, uh, two uh, lessons for us to reflect on from this. Uh, firstly, because of this, don't change the gospel message. It's not yours. You see that? Uh, verse 20, what does uh, Paul say? He says, it is God's appeal through us. It's God's message that he has committed to the church. And therefore... Friends, the, the, you know, a big temptation for us day by day is to think that, or to fall into the temptation of we can somehow improve this message for God to make it more easily believed in our current age. And friends, this has been a temptation down through the centuries. Somehow, you know, that kind of God needs us to communicate it to people in a way that it will be better heard. Of course, this was the big problem in the church in Corinth, wasn't it? Why? Because, well, Paul was a, an embarrassment to them. An embarrassment to God. He was unimpressive in speech and in background. His, his message about the cross, about Jesus, about sacrifice, well, it's just foolishness to the modern Corinthian world. And so they had abandoned Paul and his gospel. And so verse, verse 20 is quite shocking, isn't it? Because he, he uh, applies this message of reconciliation, uh, verse 20, uh, to them, to the church. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because they'd rejected Paul, they rejected his gospel, they'd opted for something more Corinthian. Paul has to speak to them, address them as though they are non-Christians. Be reconciled with God. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Why? Because they turned away from the very gospel that saves them. 
And friends, we need to hear this in today's world too, don't we? Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't turn away from Paul and his gospel as taught by the apostles. Because if you do, you have no gospel and no grace of God at all. The ambassador's job is, as a steward of the gospel, to pass that on, not as our own, but as God's appeal. Again, uh, Jim Packer from uh, this great book, uh, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Do read it if you haven't done. Uh, He says this. uh, His royal master had given Paul a message to proclaim. Paul's whole business, therefore, was to deliver that message with exact and studious faithfulness, adding nothing, altering nothing, and omitting nothing. And he was to deliver it. Not as another man, as of another man's bright ideas needing to be beautified with the cosmetics and high heels of fashionable learning in order to make people look at it, but as a word from God spoken in Christ's name, carrying Christ's authority, and to be authenticated in the hearers by the convincing power of Christ's Spirit. That is the role of the ambassador. Don't change the gospel message. It's not yours. But many people today, aren't they, uh, are losing confidence in Paul and in this gospel message. And so it is tempting, isn't it, to you know, downplay sin, dial it down a bit. It's all this negative talk, uh, ignore judgment. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll this Talk of blood and sacrifice. People don't want to hear that. And so the ministry of reconciliation becomes, well, a a ministry of introduction. Let me introduce you to a powerful person who can help you become the more real you. And that is not the gospel committed to us to share. But let's be honest. We know that temptation, don't we? You know, as we were inviting people to Hope 150, as we were thinking, oh, you know, will it be a bit, bit too much for them? Have you ever thought that? Might be a bit in their face, might be a bit confrontational. Now, look, I'm not saying we're not wise uh, in how we share this gospel message, but it is ours to proclaim as it's given to us. Don't change the gospel message, it's not yours. But secondly, uh, speak the gospel message regardless of what other people think. I was uh, reading about ambassadors in the ancient world. I was um, a little bit surprised to discover that it wasn't usual for for, uh, uh, the the powerful ruler to send back the uh, message, the response to an ambassador's message with the head of the ambassador. It's quite a thought, isn't it? Now, Paul had his critics accusing him of all sorts of selfish motives. They even said he was out of his mind. Which Paul, verse, uh, look at verse 11. He says, uh, knowing, therefore, knowing the fear of God. In other words, knowing people need to be ready to meet Jesus as judge. Verse 10, knowing the fear of God, we persuade others. 
What, what is our motive here? It, it is that we know what people most need to know and to hear. What matters most is that there's a judgment to come and there is a reconciliation possible through Jesus. Uh, he's not acting out of selfish motives. He wants to please God, even if they think he's out of, them, out of his mind. So verse 13, uh, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. In other words, I'm not ashamed about being passionate or devoted uh, to the gospel because it's for God and for people's spiritual welfare. You know, people say, oh, that, 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 that Christian, you know, that Christian at work, he's, he's an absolute nutter. You know, he kind of might, he's got, you know, pe- people might think that we're out of our mind, this believing and trusting in Jesus. I certainly had that kind of said to me from, from time to time. Or you're, you're just taking Christianity far too seriously. Sort of a, a, a gentle Christianity, that's, that's okay. But not, not this kind of really believe it Christianity. <laughs> And Paul would say, look, if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. We're unashamed about that because we, we've got to take this seriously because we take God seriously in our lives. And what is more, we're compelled by the love of Christ, the, the, the love that Christ has for us by dying for us, reconciling us for God, that that is what drives us, compels us, that, that kind of, that leads out to go and tell others uh, about this glorious message of reconciliation. And so when Paul calls himself as an ambassador, it is a humbling picture, isn't it? He proclaims the gospel facts, the gospel promises. He urges sinners to be reconciled with God uh, as affected by the cross of Christ, uh, a message that he's delivering, and he won't give up regardless of what other people think of him. When the person at school or at uh, you know, the sports club thinks you've, you, you've gone mad because, you know, you're, you're choosing to follow Jesus. Well, please remember what they most need. And God has put you there to bring that message to them. And God will work in his good purposes to bring about his perfect will in the life of that person. But don't give up. Regardless of what people say of you, regardless of what the Corinthians were saying of Paul, we have courage and confidence to speak this message because we know it is true, we know it is good, and we know it is glorious, however, however the world perceives that. So we keep going. Don't lose heart. Don't give in. Because when you do, you're God's fellow worker, furthering the work of God to reconcile the world to himself. Let me pray that God would do that. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you uh, for the message of reconciliation that God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the, recon- the, the righteousness of God. Father, we pray that we would have confidence in this gospel message, that we would uh, be uh, so motivated for Christ's love for us 
uh, of our conviction of its truth uh, and knowing your authority in entrusting this message to us. We pray that we would not give up or give in. We wouldn't lose hearts. Uh, we pray that we would implore on Christ's behalf to the world around us, be reconciled to God. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to